Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you'll learn that the world is not what it seems and you are much more than you think you are. Here you'll learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. In recent sessions, we've been talking about what living sources have to say about the first of the two basic enduring fundamental ideas. That's the idea that the world is not what it seems. Today we'll be talking about Edgar Cayce, and Edgar Cayce is a source for the second idea as well, which is that we are much more than we think we are. Casey lived from 1877 to 1945, and dozens of books have been written about him. The two best known are Edgar Casey, The Sleeping Prophet by Jess Stern, and There is a River by Thomas Sugru. While in trance, Casey prescribed cures for the illnesses of thousands of people. Yet he was unaware of what he had said when he woke up. He's a very good example of the fact that there are, quote, too many things we can't explain, close quote. And since there are, it makes sense to conclude that the world can't be what it seems. Casey's life was very interesting. I've often thought a good movie could be made about it. It's helpful to review briefly the early part of his life and how he discovered his abilities. He was born on March 18, 1877, into an old conservative Kentucky family on a farm near Hopkinsville in Christian County in the southwestern corner of the state. His father was a justice of the peace, and his grandfather reputedly had some psychic abilities used for dousing for water. As a boy, he was interested in the Bible and enjoyed going to the Christian church. When he was only seven or eight, he had a clairvoyant experience. He'd been reading the Bible in a secluded outdoor spot when suddenly... He was aware of a humming sound and a bright light. He looked up and saw a figure in white, very bright, then heard a voice telling him his prayers had been answered and inquiring what he would ask for so that it might be given to him. Startled, he replied that he would like to be able to help others, especially children who were ill. The figure then disappeared. Now, Edgar was not a scholar, and the next day, thinking about his vision, he bungled his classwork. That night, he seemed unable to concentrate on his lessons, and his father said he'd have to stay up until he knew his lesson. At 11 p.m., long past his usual bedtime, he became drowsy, and he heard a voice, as if in a dream, telling him to go to sleep, and they would help him. He fell asleep for a few minutes, and, astoundingly, when he woke, when he woke up, he knew every word in the spelling book by rote. Now, a short time later, hurt by a baseball, he told his parents while in a semi-stupor to prepare a special poultice and put it at the base of his brain. Now, poultice, in case you don't know what it means, it's a very old word, and it's uh, a popular home remedy that's been used for centuries to treat inflammation, insect bites, and other things. It's a paste made of herbs, plants, and other substances with healing properties. The paste is spread on a warm, moist cloth and applied to the body uh, to relieve inflammation 
and uh, to promote healing. Uh, sometimes it can be directly applied to the skin. So as I mentioned, uh, he told his parents while in a semi-stupor to prepare a special poultice and put it at the base of his brain. Well, it worked. As time went on, he did similar things for his friends who were ill or hurt, and what he suggested always seemed to work. Now, after leaving school in the sixth grade, he worked on a farm, in a shoe store, and a bookstore. He fell in love with a neighbor, Gertrude Evans, who felt he should use his abilities more to help others. Even before their marriage, she had noticed that when he concentrated on making money instead of helping others with his gift, he developed some physical ailment. At one point, he lost his voice, had to give up his job as a salesman, and take a job working in the dark room of a photographic studio. Professional hypnotists and medical doctors tried to help him, but nothing worked. Then Al Lane, Al Lane, a local fellow who had wanted to be a doctor but had to settle for mail-order courses in osteopathy and hypnosis, put Casey into trance. But instead of making suggestions to him, Lane directed that Casey's own subconscious mind should look into Casey's body, tell what was wrong with the throat, and suggest a cure. Immediately, Casey came through in a clear voice, saying all that was needed was to increase circulation to the affected area. Lane instructed the unconscious mind to increase the circulation there, and immediately Casey's throat turned a deep crimson. Casey's subconscious then took over from Lane, instructing Lane to suggest that the circulation return to normal and the body awaken. The condition was cured. Lane observed that Casey, when he was in trance, seemed like a physician peering down a patient's throat and suggested he could do the same with other people's bodies, locating ailments and prescribing remedies. He pointed out it would be a wonderful opportunity to heal the sick and asked Casey to start with him. He'd been sick for years and doctors had not been able to help him. Casey agreed to help and the next day he described Lane's condition better than Lane could. And then he prescribed a special diet and selected medicines. Now, while awake, Casey could not even pronounce the medical terms he used in trance, much less know what they meant. And he avoided Lane for a while. But Lane improved noticeably within a week. Lane wanted to work with Casey on a regular basis, but Casey was taken aback by all these strange occurrences. He did not want to continue with the readings, uh, as the sessions were called. His mother reminded him, though, of his childhood vision, and Gertrude encouraged him to move ahead, but Casey decided not to. He was telling the disappointed Lane of his decision when his voice started to fade to a whisper again. Now that sign, plus reassurances from Lane that his readings were consistent with established medical practice, and Gertrude's observation that if he were a physician, he'd be limited as they were, and unable to help a lot of people, finally pushed Casey to make the decision to go ahead. After weeks of successful readings, two a day, Casey still doubted his abilities, even though people were improving. Then one day, a man and woman rushed into Lane's office, the man carrying their small daughter, who was having coughing spasms, could not catch her breath, and apparently was choking to death. Doctors had thought there was an obstruction, but x-rays showed no blockage in the windpipe. 
Casey went into trance quickly, and when he awoke, the parents and the child were already gone. Within an hour, the father was back, thanking Casey profusely. Turns out the little girl had swallowed a celluloid collar button, and Casey had correctly pinpointed where it would be found. All right, we'll stop here and continue talking about Edgar Casey in the next session. Again, I'm Dan McEnany bringing you Lessons from the Helpful Dead.